Good morning. First Thessalonians chapter 2. We're continuing our studying on uh, what preaching should be, what you should expect. I know many of you are new. And by the way, we got a real busy day today. We got a couple of baptisms and then uh, a number of folks joining the church today. So we're going to move things along pretty quick. Try to cut Sunday school just a smidgen short and then uh, get done with that. Good to have Brother Patterson is visiting with us. He's on his way down south. And uh, you'll get an opportunity to speak with him on the break. Father, we pray now that you'll uh, bless the service here today. Thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you for all of the uh, distractions and all the difficulties and all the stuff that's going on. And uh, appreciate the confusion in the parking lot. Appreciate the fact that we have the ditch filled in and we can walk across it. And uh, we sure appreciate all that you've done for us here. And as you continue to do, pray you'll help us to get things ready uh, for the meeting that we have. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, now when I left off this thing here for you the other day, and again, this is uh, redundant to some of you, and the reason for that is, is many of you have been in an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, Baptist church. Uh, a lot of you were raised in that. A number of you were raised around what they used to call back in the day fundamentalist. And because of that, you have those kind of leanings and that kind of thing. Some of you were raised around uh, Dr. Ruckman's crowd. And Dr. Ruckman's crowd is the, the bastion of where it comes to uh, faith, when it comes to the book. Uh, I realize a number of people don't particularly care for his standards. Uh, but you can't disregard the amount of information that, his, uh, that he taught in the Bible. And uh, the thing I'm just going to say about that, and I'm going to move on with it, is just simply this. Uh, when all you do is look at the outward appearance, there's something wrong on the inside. Amen. I'll say that again to make you good and mad. When all you do is spend all your time looking at the outward appearance, there's something wrong on the inside. Uh, the focal point should be on the inside. And the, you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean that you don't have eternal security. It means that the thing that the Lord did for you on the inside, that should work its way outside. But I hate to tell some of you this. You probably don't know this, but you know that that takes time. Do you realize that when you have a baby that's born, you don't immediately sign the kid up for a college scholarship? Well, let me ask you a question. Why do you expect Christians to grow faster than you do regular children? You didn't grow that fast. Now, I'm not trying to be hard on you, but you didn't grow that fast. You grew real slow and you probably grew and had some retardation along the way, some bends and turns and some, you know, arthritic knuckles and things like that. Is there anybody in here? I don't think I see Jesus in here this morning. Is there anybody in here that uh, was perfect since the day you were saved? Did it take God some time? Amen. Way up in North Michigan right now, they're, having, uh, they're already getting temperatures in the 40s. And uh, that's hard on corn and that's hard on the tomatoes. It's hard on things that need the heat, this hot sun. But apples love that. So they're having a bumper crop up there. But you know what happened? Because they're now having so many apples, the branches are breaking off the apple trees. You can do your best to try to get somebody to grow super fast, but if the limbs won't support the growth, all it does is break them. You get in a hurry to see something. You got to hurry and see something. No, you need to get rooted and grounded in the Word. How many of you know what a root is? Where does that grow? It's underground, right? All right, until the root is set forth, then you don't have anything as far as fruit. But you're always interested in the fruit, the fruit, the fruit, the fruit. 
we have some people down not far from here and their big emphasis is, the preacher will tell them almost every Sunday, he'll give them the standard by which they uh, live. If you're saved, and then he'll make his list. I didn't say you weren't saved. I said if you are saved, where's the fruit? Completely pulling out of context the passage of by their fruits you shall know them, that has to do with false teachers. It doesn't have anything to do with you. You want a verse for you? By their fruits you shall know them. Read Galatians chapter number 5. You know what you do when you come down through there? You see nine fruits of the Holy Spirit and not a single one of them has to do with the standard. Now, look, I come from a standard-oriented background. My daddy, we didn't go to church like people go to church nowadays. We didn't ever wear shorts to church. We didn't wear T-shirts and wife beaters to church. Uh, when I was a little kid, you had to shine your shoes. This is back in the days where you shined your shoes with paste wax. And you had to shine your shoes with paste wax. And then you took a black uh, toothbrush and you dipped it in the uh, shoe polish. And you did the little line around the sole. You did all of that stuff. I know some of you polish your shoes with Hershey bars. I understand that. But, but uh, when, I, when I first went to work at the sheriff's office, you had to polish your shoes back in those days. And then polish your boots if you were in traffic. And then they came out with Corfams. They made it easy so you could use Windex. But you know what we have nowadays? We have a, a bunch of Christians going around that are doing shoe inspection. You can have dirty shoes. In the old days, they wore sandals. They didn't have anything to polish. And some of you get raised in that and you get to thinking, well, as long as the person's looking right on the outside, I've met a lot of people that look right on the outside and they're sitting in prison right now. Yeah. Just because you look good on the outside. Anybody ever seen pictures of Bundy? You ever see him when he's dressed up for court? Man, you'd think the guy was a lawyer, right? And what was he? He was a serial killer, among other things. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm trying to get across to you that preaching should balance out your life. It should be something where the burden of living for the Lord Jesus Christ is not so great that it snaps you in two. It takes time to grow into your sword. You don't get a sword as soon as you get born again and psh, the sword of the Spirit and all that. You're going to cut yourself and cut somebody. Uh, years ago, I got that Bowie knife because I quoted my famous verse, uh, uh, Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five, 35, and got my Bowie knife. And I had my brother holding uh, some paper like this, and I'm cutting the paper, you know, and he's holding and cutting the paper, you know, it's getting closer like this and cutting the paper. <laughs> and then he got like this. I don't know why he trusted me with it. He shouldn't have. But I missed and hit him in the finger. And I cut his finger open. You say, why? I was a little kid who hadn't grown into my knife. The lesson I had to learn from that was that that knife stayed up there on top of that refrigerator where I could see it, but I couldn't touch it because my dad said, until you're big enough to touch it, you ain't touching it again. Well, it'd be good for some of you when it comes to that Bible to put that Bible up there where you don't have to touch it because all you do is hurt people with it. I preached to you last week about the towel, not the sword. And the reason why is because the towel is heavier to bear than the sword is. It's more difficult to be a servant than a soldier. I don't care what anybody tells you. A soldier has orders. A soldier has discipline. A soldier does all that. They look high and tight. But do you realize that the soldier spends more time in training than he does fighting? I spent much more time in training than I did in bad situations. I'd had a few of them. When I mention those things to you, it sounds like I had them. You're looking at over 20 years. Those things spread out over 20 years. It ain't more than one or two a year. 
The rest of the time, what is it? Mundane, routine, same old thing all the time, praying that before the clock strikes 11 that you don't get that last call or something and you wind up having to work overtime and the clock going and it just being mundane and routine and sag, bag and drag, filled every now and then with a few moments of excitement or terror. But the rest of it was training. Go back, in-service training every year. I don't know if they still do that or not, but in-service training every year, all the time. You get promoted, you got to go to other classes. Why? Because you don't know anything about whatever you just got promoted to do. And they send you back in there. You spend thousands of dollars training, 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 training for what might happen. Now, in Christian life, that's what the preaching is supposed to do. It's prepare you for what might happen. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. But the reason some of you give up and throw in the towel is, is because it's not exciting all the time. It's not a camp meeting all the time. It's not a revival meeting all the time. The Shekinah glory came shining down. It's not reliving the past all the time. Preaching is supposed to just let you know sometimes you know what it is? Sag, bag, and drag. It's what the old preacher used to say. You get accustomed to that. A preaching is supposed to balance you down, balance you out. It's not always exciting. I realize I'm dry as cracker juice sometimes. I understand that. I'm not a fool as long as I've been here and all the years I've been here, not to think that it's always entertaining to you. But sometimes, you know what you need? You need the sag, bag, and drag. Why? Because that's what life is. Tell me what it's like. I know tomorrow's Labor Day, but tell me what it's like when you get up on a Monday morning and get ready to go to work. Yay. I'm going to work. I had a job I loved doing, but Monday still came. Yay. Got to go to work. Got to stay at work. Got responsibilities at work. And when it comes to the Christian life, there is, you're going to see in the passage here in just a minute, a Christian life is one of responsibility. It's one of duty. It's a thing that you have to recognize, that you have to level up and shoulder up and do what's right to do, but it ain't always an easy thing. All right, look at the passage now here. The Bible says this in verse number 5. Uh, uh, we're in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse 5. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is a witness. We talked about that. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you. That has to do with your wanting to be recognized, appreciated, and those kind of things. Paul said, we didn't, that's not why we're preaching, nor yet of others, when you might have been burdensome, the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse chariot that their children. Now, I spent some time on that. And you can go back wherever it was a week or two ago, where I talked to you about some of the responsibilities of a nurse. But I want to just simply say this to you. Sometimes preaching is intended to nurse you back to care. I mean, back to health. And sometimes preaching, when you say gentle as a nurse, sometimes, like the illustration I gave you, it means you have to get out a brush and some betadine, and you got to scrub out the particulate from where you've been got road rash on you, and then be able to bandage you up. Otherwise, you have infection. A nurse does that. When's the last time you were in there and you watched a doctor scrub you down with betadine? I've been dozens of them where they, you know, made a bed out of the highway out there, the asphalt highway, and they got road rash from one end to the other if they happened to survive it, sliding on that uh, asphalt out there. And I remember one, one time it was, man, it was blazing hot. It was the middle of July, August day, and we got a call out there back when I was in traffic and, and we went out there to the call and here's this guy and his motorcycle's laying over here underneath the truck and the guy's laying over on the side of the road and he's hollering and screaming because the pavement was burning. But they wouldn't get him off of the pavement because they were afraid because of broken bones and stuff. And the guy's just, I got to get off the pavement. I got to get off. He's screaming and hollering. I mean, he looked as red as that pew right there. 
just all up down one side where he just slid on the road until he got down to the end of that. You know what happened? By the time they got him over to the county hospital, it was way back in the bajillion years ago, they took him down there to what's uh, Shands now, I guess it is, 8th and... Um, um, uh, Davis, yeah, 8th and Davis, and then what's the one over from that? 8th and Haynes? No, 8th and Jefferson. 8th and Jefferson. Jefferson is a uh, Methodist right there, and then that was the other one, and then Venus Mars Court, drug spit city back there behind that. Anyhow, so I go over there to follow up on all that kind of a deal back there. It used to go to the hospital, and you hear them back there messing around. But at any rate, I go in that hospital and I ask him where he's at and the charge nurse sends me back there and he's back there and they got him disrobed and all that kind of deal. They got him covered up. But I'm telling you, man, that whole side is just, it looks like a raw piece of meat. And there's a nurse, she looks up at me like she could be the defensive tackle for the Detroit Lions. And she looks up at me and she's got her mask on and she's got glasses on her eyes and she said, what do you need? She's sweating, sweat just pouring off of her. And I, I said, uh, well, I was going to see if I could talk to him, but uh, he won't quit screaming. She said, he's not going to quit screaming for a while. <laughs> I said, reckon why? She said, held up the bed of dying in the brush. She said, because I'm not done yet. Man, I said, I think I'll just wait outside on this one, man. I mean, I've seen some stuff, but that guy screamed and hollered and all that kind of stuff. The doctor didn't come in until he was all cleaned up. <laughs> And you know what the doctor did? He walked in and said, you missed a place. <laughs> and she got her little tweezers and she got it cleaned out and all that kind of a deal. You know what nurses do sometimes? They do stuff even doctors won't do. You know what nurses do sometimes? Sometimes when it comes to taking care of bedpans and urinals and stuff like that and changing diapers and dealing with vomit. That's part of what preaching does. That's part of the ministry. Dealing with people throwing up all the time. You say, what is that? That's part of the deal. Isn't that what you do when you come into the throne room? The majority of the time up there is you up there telling him sweet nothings or are you up there throwing up? I'll speak for my own prayer life. Y'all are you saint. Y'all are so, you're so sanctified. You're just, oh no, not me. I, I come up, Lord, how glorious and wonderful it is to be in your presence today and praise the Lord and hallelujah. And that's all I wanted to say and I'm out of here. You ain't got much of a prayer life, do you? He said, cast your cares on him. Cast your burdens on him. You know what the Bible said? Mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. He knows how to be just what you need. Sometimes in a minute, he's going to be a father. And sometimes a father is not gentle like a nurse. Sometimes a father knows you need a bill. I know that's contrary to the word today. I understand what the world says today. But sometimes the father steps in and says, you need some hard lessons. And that's part of what happens. So we told you about that, about being a nurse, and that's an important thing to you. Look in verse number 8. He said, So affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted to you not the gospel of God only, but our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Now this is something a lot of people don't understand uh, when it comes to preaching. Come to the book of Colossians. In the book of Colossians, he's going to give you an idea of what's going on. Paul said uh, in 1 Thessalonians, he said a little bit later, he said, you, when you heard of us, we didn't give you just our words. We gave of our own selves. That means when a preacher, I don't care who it is, when a preacher gets up here, unless he's a show pony, he's giving of himself when he's up here preaching to you. He's not just giving you some words out of a book. He's put time and he's put effort in it and he wants it to change your life. 
Listen, He's not trying to motivate you in the here and now. He's trying to prepare you for the hereafter. He's trying to get your eyes on the judgment seat of Christ. Trying to get your eyes on something besides yourself. Why? Because He's worried about it eternally. There's a weight that's associated with that. And there is an exchange. There is part that goes out of that preacher that's imparted unto you. Whether you receive it or not, it still empties the tank. You say, well, it just doesn't seem to be that physically demanding and physically hard. But it's not always about how much muscle you put behind it. Sometimes it's the mental stress that's in there. I got a real sweet email the other day from an individual that uh, sent me an innuendo because I made this statement. I said, sometimes the pain in here is greater than the physical pain you experience out there. To which he replied, that's all a bunch of baloney and people don't have the mental issues like you say they do. Okay, well, you had not been around long, Sonny. I got news for you. The Lord, will, the Lord will teach you something. You're going to eat those words. And you say, why? That mental pressure sometimes can get on you so great, man, it'll snap you like a twig. You might be able to bench 400 pounds, but you get into a situation like that, it'll drive you under the juniper tree. It'll put you down in a stinking bottom of a well or in the bottom of a pit somewhere. It'll make you cuss and swear and say, I'm done and I'm through. And I, you say, what? Between your ears. That mental stuff going on. That stuff's a true deal. Oh, well, you know, preacher, you know that. Hey, go get you a white jacket and spend a year's enough studying and I'll listen to you. Just because you got a Bible under your arm doesn't make you an expert when it comes to medical or psychological or financial. Don't be using God for your benefit, using His platform for your agenda. You're not an expert. You know what you ought to be? An expert in what the Bible says. Not an expert in giving whatever you think about whatever famous YouTube preacher's talking about now. Let's talk about some prophetic event. Why? How about we just talk about whether or not I can get you through today? I deal with people right now that are struggling to get through one day. I don't even know they'll make it to tomorrow. And you're worried about whether or not you know how many angels dance on the head of a pen. Well, who cares how many angels dance on the head of a pen when you're in trouble? People are brokenhearted and tore up. Are you kidding me? That's the stuff he deals with. People that are tore out of the frame. You say, what? What's going on between your ears? I don't know how many of you in here struggle with addictions. Some of you are addicted to gossip. See, you thought I was going to say drugs. You people aren't addicted to drugs. Maybe somebody else's prescriptions. Ooh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, you don't think that's illegal, right? Come on. Using somebody else's medical card to get something you want. Come on, I'm telling the truth. You can say, oh me, if you don't like it, but it's true. Uh, some of you are addicted to work. Some of you are addicted to yourself. You have all kind of addictions. It, the way you hear things, the filters that you have. You're addicted to your... The first thing you do is receive it defensively because you're defending... You're addicted to you. Amen. You love the guy in the mirror. You should get... You should... That Michael Jackson be your hymn. I'm talking to the man in the mirror. Don't act like you don't know that song. I don't even know that he knew it was a man in the mirror. You know what I'm talking about. You talk about a confused individual. 
Is he a boy? Is he a girl? Is he white? Is he black? He sings a song, you know, it's black or white. I, I don't know. You're like a tweener. I don't even know what you are. He never could grow up. He had Peter Pan syndrome. He's always got kids. He's got a, he's got a stinking uh, merry-go-round at his house for children. Look, ladies and gentlemen, if you do that when you're six and you're playing with kids when you're six, that's reasonable. If you're playing with kids and you're 25, something's wrong with you. Well, I just refuse to grow up. <laughs> you may refuse to grow up, but you ain't going to be around my little children. But, you know, people are like, oh, well, he just loves kids. Yeah, the wrong way. Well, you're not making that. It's not nice to speak about the dead. I'm not. What am I telling you that's not true? The only reason that some of you feel upset right now is because you love yourself. You say, what are you? You're a fulfillment of the, in the Bible. Did you know that? Sure you are. You're in 2 Timothy 3, lovers of them own selves. That's not queers. That's you love yourself. Know what happens here? Look in Colossians 1. There's a refusal to give yourself. Paul said we gave of ourselves, not just our words. We gave of ourselves, willing to put some sweat in it, some blood, some tears. Now, it irritates you when you start doing that if you're not doing it for the right reason. Because you do all that and you think people recognize it and appreciate it. They didn't appreciate Paul at all. Paul said, Are you, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? That's the people that he got whipped for. Look at the ministry. Look in Colossians chapter number 1. Look at verse 24. The Bible says this, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for who? You're going to take it. Paul said, I'm suffering for you. Why? It doesn't matter if the world gets you or not. You are in the devil's bullseye if you're going to stand up and you're going to preach and you're going to tell God's people what God would have you to say, whether the people like you or not. Paul said, you're going to suffer for them. That's part of what happens. If I had preacher's wives here right now, I would tell the preacher's wives right now, you got the worst end of the whole deal and the hardest job there is to do because you're going to suffer because he used it in the garden to use Eve and all throughout that Bible and he's going to come at you and come at you and come at you. He don't come at the shepherd, he comes at the sheep. Amen. And you're not a shepherdess. Amen. You're a sheep. And as a result, He's going to try to do everything he can to skin you alive. And if you're part of a, a, a Christian man, you've got a Christian husband, ma'am, you're in the bullseye. All right, part of the ministry is this. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. To what? Fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake. Which is what? Paul said, I do this for other people's benefit. It cost me something. Do you ever think about that? you ever think about the price that somebody pays? You just stand up and say, well, it's just, a, just a, it's just a sermon. Well, if the words are eternal, it's a little bit more than that. Amen. Take your Bible and come to Galatians chapter number 6. Well, stop in Philippians 3. Let me show you this. Here's the Apostle Paul. Let me ask you this about the Apostle Paul. Uh, when the Apostle Paul came out of there in Philippians uh, th uh, 3, I've got to go backwards. Philippians chapter number 3. Let me ask you this. 
Look at the things there in the, uh, verses 7, 8, and 9. You think it cost Paul anything? Yes, yeah. He changed his whole career. Yes, Paul had been trained to be a lawyer at the feet of Gamil. I mean, that's the, that was the Perry Mason of his day. That's the top dog. You know what Paul said? I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees above the law blameless. He's a big dog. He is well known. Got the power and authority. You know what he said? I count it all but... You say what? It cost him something to be a minister. I'm trying to help you, not for my sake, but when you have guys come through here, you'll have the Jubilee come through here and you'll have, I don't know how many, we got 39 in last year, but however many we have that get up and get an opportunity, it's going to cost them something. I want you to know it's costing them. You say, they're not all great and glowing and all. Yeah, but guess what? That's saying a lot about you, like you think you should be entertained or something. They're in the process of being made. Amen. And it's costing them something. Old Bounds said this, Ian Bounds is one of the ones that students get over there. Ian Bounds said, it takes 20 years to make a message because it takes 20 years to make a man. Amen. So you hear these guys and they're preaching. They've been preaching 5, 6 years, 10 years, 15 years. You say, what happened? They're not even out of the oven yet. That's why most great preachers that you hear, you know them after they were already well past 60, most of them in their 70s and some in their 80s. Amen. You say, why? It takes that long to make the man. Before the message comes out. The majority of you, with the exception of those that will pull up some archive photos or videos or whatever. You remember the old preacher coming here for 23, 24 years, whatever it was. And you remember stuff that he preached well after he was in his 70s. You say, well, what is that? That's the Apostle Paul. It's a making process. Are you going to be a minister? I want to be a minister. Okay, it takes time. God's time. The old preacher used to say about me, he said, you must have been a slow student. I said, why do you say that? He said, because the Lord put you in seminary for 20 years. What he was referring to was my previous career. He said, the Lord put you through all of that to prepare you for where you are now. He was joking around. You don't take offense to that. He was right. 20 years of that. You say, why? I needed to go back in the oven repeatedly. Mash down again. Made over again. Dropped and messed up and made over again. I got it now, Lord. Okay, we'll see. And then the first time pressure comes, I come all apart, man. The springs go all over the place. The Lord's it back in the oven. Well, Monroe used to say this. He said, you know, I told him he was going through a hard time about something. And I said, man, sometimes the flames are pretty hot and the fires get pretty hot and that kind of a thing. He said, P, it is not the flames and the fire that bother me. He said, it's when he pulls me out and starts framing on me with a sledgehammer that bothers me. Amen. I thought, that's it. Yep. It's when he's got you ready and then he starts swinging that hammer. Amen. A lot of truth to that. Look in verse number 10. How do we gonna do, what do we want to do? We're talking about giving of yourself. This is rarity. This is that your talk and walk match. That I may know Him, verse 10, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His being made conformable to... All right, well, if that's the case, come to Galatians chapter number 6. Let me ask you a question. Uh, if that's the case, would you be willing to pay that price? You say, preacher, you're trying to talk me out of my call to preach? No, I'm just trying to make you recognize it's a long trip. 
Your call might be the beginning, but it's a long trip. And you spend the constant time being made over and being made over and being made over and being made over. You say, why? People are changing. And you're changing too. You never get to the top of your game. You never get where you know it all. The Lord, the second you think you know something, the Lord will put you back in the hopper and say, okay, let's try this. And then you'll say, oh man, I don't know anything. They used to say this, the longer I'm doing it, the less I know. You know, when you first get started, you first move out of the house, you think you know more than mom and daddy. Anybody ever been there before? One or two of you. The rest of you are like, oh, no, not me. You know, okay. And then after about four or five years, you're like, my, my mom and dad were pretty smart. And then you have kids. And then you start raising them the same way you raised your kid. They raised you. Well, if they were so wrong, why are you doing that? And then before long, your kids wind up being just like you. And you're thinking, where did I go wrong? <laughs> right? Galatians chapter, we're talking about giving of yourself. Galatians chapter number 6, look in verse number 17. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body. You see that? It's going to cost you something. You're going to have some slash marks on you. Come back to 1 Thessalonians. You're going to have some uh, bruises on you. You say, what? You're going to get knocked around. That's why Paul said to you over there in um, uh, Romans 12, he said, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Present your body, Paul. What are you crazy? Yeah, you got to make it go to church. You got to make it read the Bible. You say, why? It don't want to read the Bible. Don't you tell me your flesh. I don't care how old you've gotten. Don't tell me your flesh like sitting down and reading that Bible. I mean, I think the Lord should have made the Bible with pictures on every page. The audacity of him making me read it to get the picture. Right? He didn't put pictures in it. He just put words. The value of words is where your everything begins. If you love Him, you keep His commands. If you love Him, you keep His words. All the stuff about words, 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 preservation of words. Why does He do that? Because you're visually driven. But ladies and gentlemen, what you see with a picture doesn't stimulate your intellect. Words stimulate your intellect. Can I say this with charity? That's why some of you are as dumb as a box of rocks. I said it with charity. You're still reading coloring books. You're still reading comic books. You don't take the time to read and let God draw the picture with words. You've got to see pictures. You're stimulated visually. What do you have to learn to do? I have to learn to stimulate my mind. If the Lord didn't mean that, why did He give you words? Doesn't He tell you that sanctify them with truth? Thy what? Word. Is what? Truth. Okay. He says faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by word. Okay. If words are not important, whatever does it make? That's what are they doing now. They're dumbing you down on words. That's why they go through your other Bibles. And I'm not going into all that stuff. You should have that information by now. But that's why they change words. Genesis 3. 
Yea, hath God said. What did Eve do? She changed the words, added to it, took away from it, adjusted it, fixed it, make it more modern, that kind of thing. Why? Those words are spirit and life. You mess with those words, you're messing with my eternal life. If you can cast doubt on one thing that's in that Bible right there, you're going to cast doubt on my eternal security. Now, I know this is redundant to you. You, you. you already know all this stuff. But it's good you be reminded about it. That's basic foundational stuff. What are the fundamentals of the faith? I don't even worry about that. How about we just get down that the Word of God is true? Amen. Let's just get that one first. Until you get that settled, it isn't going to make a difference what anybody says to you. And then they become the authority. All right, back to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Paul's talking about giving of himself there. And he tells you of giving of his own soul. And that's the Christian life. It's one of sacrifice. It's one of nevertheless. You know what that does? Prayer will realign your will. In uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, you know what he says in the Garden of Gethsemane? He says, nevertheless, what does he say? But thine be done. You know what that does? That realigns your will with his will. All right, now he says to you in the second verse of Romans chapter number 12, that you may know that which is good, acceptable, what? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your... That you may know that which is good, acceptable, and perfect, right? All right, so how do I transform my mind if it's not with the words in that book? It's important for you to grab a hold of that. That book will transform you if you'll let it. He will not force it on you. You can lay it under your pillow and sleep on it every night. It won't change anything at all. You have to have that thing be infused into your eyes and that thing comes down into your heart. I recommend to you that when you're reading, read out loud. Use your finger. You say, why? You're touching the pages. It's engaging you. It's keeping something from straying. I like to read. I like to put my finger there. You say, why are you having to follow it? Because you're a first grader? I, whatever. It helps me to keep my mind focused on my finger moving. So now my eyes are engaged. My finger's engaged. I read it out loud sometimes. You say, why? It engages my ears and I got a problem with this. You say, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to keep this from engaging. The more of these things I can utilize when I'm reading the better benefit it is to me because it keeps me from while I'm reading, all of a sudden I've read a whole chapter and I'm going, what did I just read? Because my mind is, I need to get that done. I need to get this done. I got to get this fixed. Ding, 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 ding. You know, I better check that. It's probably something bad. Somebody's in a ditch. Somebody's hung up in a bush. I, I better get this and that and the other. It don't do no good to silence it if you put it on the buzzer thing. That's just, you know, so what do I do? I put that stuff on there. You say, why? A lot of times I put it in the earbuds. I spend a lot of time when I'm flying, I put that thing. I, you say, who do you listen to? I listen to the old preacher. I listen to that whatever they're playing in Muzak or over the deal up there. I get an opportunity to listen to him. Why don't you get tired of it? No, it keeps my mind occupied. And see, some of you, you don't have a problem with that. I guess there's too much empty space up in my mind and there's too much room for other stuff to jump in there. Y'all's minds are just full up all the time. Mine must have a lot of empty space in it because stuff jumps in there all the time. You know when stuff jumps in mine? When I get ready to pray. I'm terrible if I try to pray at night before I go to sleep. I'll get in about now I lay me down. <laughs> I'm done. Rarely ever do I lay there in the bed and, and I'm done. I'm asleep. 
When I pray, I like to pray, and sometimes I'll move my lips while I'm praying. And the reason I'm doing is not to try to be a showy. It's trying to keep my mind on what yes. I'm doing. Yes. Paul's trying to get a point across to you that your walk and your talk, that go synonymous. They go hand in hand. And that goes for you. Now, before you think I'm not a preacher, you are a preacher. You're the only Bible a lot of people will ever read. Amen. Their idea of Christianity is what they see in you. They're not going to listen to me. They're watching you. All right, he says this in verse number uh, 8 there. He says, uh, I gave of our own souls. And he said in verse number 9, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day. What did Paul do? Paul didn't go down there and help them build buildings and uh, sweep floors and that kind of stuff. Paul's labor and travail was spending time talking to people, helping people, preaching to people, teaching them what the Bible is. Take your Bible and come to Galatians chapter number 6, and I'll show you what he's talking about here. And he said, why are we doing that? So we'll not be chargeable to anybody. We preach the gospel, uh, the gospel of God. There's work involved in that. <clears throat> we had Apostle Paul, you know, he was a tent maker, you know, so we just think, okay, well, just hold on a minute. I'm not sure why it is, but people have this idea, this mindset, that when it comes to everything else, you should have benefits and you should have, you know, uh, a pay for the however many wages per hour and this and that and the other. But when it comes to preaching the book, it's kind of like, well, you know, give them whatever's left over kind of deal. Because it's really not work. I had one old fellow tell me one time, he said, uh, a preacher, and you're going to be a preacher? He said, why would you want to be a preacher? Isn't that what people do when they can't do anything else? Well, how do you respond to that? You just, yeah, I guess so. Well, the Lord called me to do it. Well, you know, okay. Well, he doesn't believe in it. But you know what he says here? Paul said that we did that. We labored among you. It's effort. It takes effort. It takes time. Being a minister is not as much as you might think. Preaching is supposed to remind you of that. It's just supposed to bring to the forefront the importance of preaching in your life. Look in Galatians chapter number 6. <clears throat> Pick it up, if you will, in verse number 6. Let him that is taught in word communicate unto him that teacheth all good things. Well, I'm pretty sure that just means I'll tell you you did a good job. Okay, but you might want to run a couple of cross-references and find out there that it has a little bit more to do with that. Look at verse number 7. God's weighing out whether or not you appreciate what He's doing by teaching you somebody. That's how God set it up. I'm not asking for a raise. I'm well taken care of. I'm plenty fat. I got plenty of rolls hanging over my belt. I'm, I'm good. Don't, don't worry about that. But I've got to show you the truth. It says God's not mocked. Not the convention's not mocked and not the deacons or the trustees are mocked. Or it's not what it says. God is not meant whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. The context of the passage right there, I don't care if your Schofield note puts a break there. The context of the passage there is, is you're not going to mock God by not being appreciative when he sends somebody to teach you the book. How much have you done to continue to support the old preacher now that he's gone? And most of you wouldn't know what you know if it wasn't for him. You quit supporting the work over there now that he's gone? He's still in the jails and prisons. He's still got videos all over the creation. His material's still being taught in all the schools. My shelves are full of all the books that he's ever written and stuff. 90% of everything you get comes from stuff he taught me, indirectly or directly. You quit supporting that over there? You don't appreciate that? I've heard a lot of people say stuff about him now that he's gone. They waited until he died, now they shoot their mouth off about him. 
if they got a backbone about the size of a piece of eight pound fishing line. But the, but the bottom line is, is that you ever pause, that ministry continues. What do you do about putting missionaries on the field? Do you appreciate the fact that you're in a Bible-believing church because God had you to be here? Do you appreciate you're born in the United States of America? Do you appreciate you got a King James Bible in your lap? Does God know you appreciate it? You know why we're doing this over here? You say, well, we need the room. You missed it. We're doing this over here for Him, for His glory. We're doing that over there so that we can continue to get it out, get it out, get it out, get it out, and do everything we can to get it out. And if that's not what the motive is, God looks at you and He says, you're not going to mock me. You spend all the money on all the other things. He doesn't knock that. He said, I appreciate that, that you're willing to pay for whatever it is you're getting, but are you willing to pay Him for what you're getting? You think you can just pick the stuff up anywhere you go? You didn't think about that. You know what Paul said? We labored. Man, do you realize what Paul's working against? When the Apostle Paul comes in, man, i got to quit. The Apostle Paul comes in there. You understand Paul's going contrary to Jewish doctrine and Jewish teaching. Paul's been given the mysteries. And Paul's teaching something now, salvation by grace through faith. And that kind of thing that the Jews were never taught, the gospel of the kingdom. And Paul's having to rewrite that entire thing. And the majority of his congregation is Gentiles. And he's talking to Gentile believers and he's telling them God's going to hold you accountable that he sent this time, sent me over here to you to take care of you. And the Apostle Paul said, uh, I'm supposed to minister to you spiritually, but you've got to take care of my carnal needs. Why? So I can minister to you spiritually. Paul's saying, I wasn't lazy. These guys, I realize they've preached in a lot of years and things like that and they can preach off the top and that kind of a deal. But if you're a real minister, you know what you're going to do? You're going to carry burdens with you all the time. And it's going to wear you out. You say, why? A lot of times it's not a doctrinal lesson you learn. Sometimes it's picking up the... Sometimes, uh, let them in, if you will, Brother Sear. Uh, sometimes it's picking up the mantle and the burden of other people's problems. Messages get born out of that. You say, what happens? You have to go through it first. <laughs> That's part of it. I'm not a complaint. Uh, we'll stop there. I'll pick it up for you this evening. Heavenly Father, thank you.